Well, obviously, what happens in America, given its strength and size, uh, reverberates right around the world. And there were a lot of eyes on the midterms yesterday in Ukraine. And there was a reason for that. Uh, Over the past little while, there's been increasing noise from a certain arm of the Republican Party that maybe the money being spent in Ukraine was not necessarily in America's best interest. Um, What it boiled down to uh, was Kevin McCarthy, who will likely be the Republican House leader uh, taking over from from Nancy Pelosi, or House leader, the majority House leader, uh, saying that in a Republican-controlled Congress uh, would be disinclined to write, quote, a blank check for Ukraine. Um, Well, what does that mean exactly? He didn't elaborate particularly, but it caused a lot of chatter in the lead-up to the midterms this week, uh, yesterday. What exactly did that mean? Well, part of it is is certain isolationism that exists within the more Trump-sided vein of this, the idea that spending money on these wars doesn't benefit America, particularly, Uh, that America spends a lot more on these wars, as they have been in Ukraine, than anyone else does, far more than the UK or the European Union or Canada, for that matter, Uh, that being the world's police person, policeman... um, isn't worth the money sometimes. And I think there's a bit of an isolationist vein within the Republican Party uh, that has always existed. We see it on the other side, too. There's also uh, arguments against the war in Ukraine on the left as well. Um, but needless to say, that was a concern. And the the idea is that because the uh, more Trump-supported side of the Republican Party didn't do that well uh, in the midterms, that, in fact, it will be business as usual for Ukraine. Uh, At the same time, there are other things going on in that country. Today, for instance, the Russian military withdrew from the southern Ukrainian city of Kherson, which is really one of Russia's most significant and humiliating attacks in this, uh, amongst many um, setbacks, rather, in this whole war. It's been more than eight months now. Um, This is a huge setback for them to withdraw from this really important city in southern Ukraine. It was one of the first places they went into back uh, when they invaded in February, and they are now being moved out by what has been a very effective counteroffensive. And it comes at a time when there are reports that the U.S. may or may not be putting some pressure on Ukraine to negotiate, that the idea is that neither Russia or Ukraine will achieve all their military uh, wants on the ground, and that at some point they're going to have to talk to each other, and maybe that some point should be sooner than later. Uh, And while all this is happening, Joe Biden has found himself in a bind because there's a high-profile American who's now a prisoner in Russia, Brittany Griner. I don't know if you know much about her. She is one of the WNBA, the women's NBA's most biggest stars. She's a member of the U.S., the the multiple gold medal winning U.S. Olympic team. Uh, But because there's not a lot of money in the WNBA, a lot of them played in Russia. And that's where she wound up in Yekaterinburg playing when she was arrested at Moscow's airport uh, for possession of of a cannabis substance. Uh, She's been in jail now. She was convicted. She's been in jail now. Apparently yesterday she was moved to a penal colony, a penal camp. They have them in America. Um, And so that's put a lot of pressure on Joe Biden as well. So there's all this going on in and around Russia, Ukraine, the midterms and the White House. Uh, President Biden said today they are determined to get Brittany Griner home and that uh, his hope was now that the midterms are over, uh, that uh, President Putin and Russia will be able to discuss with the White House and they'll have 
some talk about a prisoner exchange. Victor Bout apparently is who the Russians are looking for. You may have seen the movie uh, with Nicolas Cage. He's a well-known arms dealer. Uh, that's who they're looking for in return. So with all that in mind, we thought we would check in with John Herbst. He's the director of the Eurasia Center with the Atlantic Council. He's also the former U.S. ambassador to both Ukraine and Uzbekistan, and he joins us now. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. The um, First, just with the midterms, because going in, there was some consternation, specifically, I think, in Ukraine, about what the outcome might be if there was, in fact, a real Republican landslide last night. We haven't seen that. Um, but what kind of impact could the outcome, specifically if the Republicans control uh, the Congress, uh, both the Senate and the House of Representatives, what impact might that have on, on what's happening in Ukraine? Well, I think it's important to parse this question. It's, it's a very good question. The fear was not simply that there would be a, a Republican majority in both houses of Congress, but that the influence of the Trump wing of the party would be much greater. And of course, in the election, um, it has not proved to be a big wave election in favor of the Republicans. Uh, the Republicans will take the House, and there's still a chance they could take the Senate, but it doesn't seem as strong a chance it was 24 hours ago. And of course, the Trump wing of the party had a poor night, worse than the Republicans overall. So it's, it's I think, safe to say that there's not going to be an enhanced influence in, in Congress of the Trump wing of the party. And yet we continue to see, um, I mean, whether it be Fox or th there is a sort of this drip drip uh, from a certain segment that, that it seems to think the war in Ukraine is has been, at least, that might not be worth the money that's that's being spent on it. Do you see that? gaining traction at all? Or is that really going to, you think, remain a bit of a a, fr a fringe opinion? Well, I wouldn't call it quite fringe right. because, you know, you know, roughly 25 percent of Republicans in Congress voted against the $40 billion aid package, an aid package which is very much in American interests. But, you know, people were talking literally you know, 24 hours ago how, again, you have a big Republican victory led by the the populists. And in fact, you haven't seen that victory. And the populists did worse than the Republicans overall. So I don't think that this concept among a part of the Republican Party is going to go away. I do believe it was it was seriously weakened yesterday. But as you point out, some of this is coming not so much from politicians, but from media. And presumably those media figures have not changed their minds, although perhaps they're a little bit less self-assured today than they were yesterday. Uh, moving to Ukraine, there have been some more developments today. Uh, how much pressure is there, do you think, there, I mean, or how, I should put it this way, can there be negotiations anytime soon? And how much pressure do you think uh, President Zelensky is under to at least uh, give a nod to the idea that perhaps at some point talks are possible? My understanding, based upon conversations with people who know, is that when National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan went to Ukraine, um, over the weekend, he put no pressure on Zelensky to open negotiations or even, even to announce his readiness for negotiations, although there have been stories to the contrary. But it is true that there are people in the West who think this way, even people in the administration who think this way. And this is actually very dangerous thinking. Um, Putin is conducting not simply a war of aggression in Ukraine, but a war on the on the existence of Ukrainians as Ukrainians. So he's committed massive war crimes. Those who call for Ukraine to negotiate now are essentially saying, Ukraine, 
you have to give part of your territory as a compromise so Putin can end his war. What they're saying, therefore, is Ukraine has to hand over to Putin's tender mercies millions of Ukrainians. And again, given the war crimes the Kremlin has committed, has sanctioned, given the stated intention to basically make sure any Ukrainian under Russian control is docile, people who advocate this are advocating putting millions of people in the uh, under the repression of a nasty regime in Moscow. And at the same time, uh, even today, we're seeing Russia reports today, at least of Russia retreating across the Dnipro River, essentially abandoning Kherson. Uh, th- this has been, I mean, uh, the last we spoke, I think, was probably four months ago, and this was all very up in the air as to where this might be heading militarily. Uh, but it feels like Russia is now really very much on the back foot militarily and searching for some kind of leverage to make a deal. If we spoke, say, in June or earlier, that's exactly right. But uh, a key a key development here was the decision, finally, by the Biden administration in middle or so of June, to send HIMARS to Ukraine. These are are long-range artillery with a range of 85 kilometers. Then they arrived in Ukraine late June, early early July. And once they went into action, Moscow's slow-grinding offensive in the east of Ukraine in Donbass came to a halt. And then the Ukrainians launched this very successful counteroffensive. If the administration had not been so timid, to send those HIMARS. It sent them, for example, in March, late March, when the Ukrainians were screaming for them. The Russian offensive in Donbass would have gone nowhere. And of course, there's a lot more equipment that we should be sending now. And if we did, it would it would hasten Ukraine's um, ongoing counteroffensive. Because as we watch as well, and we see the attack, the Russian attacks on Ukrainian infrastructure, this is going to be a tough winter. For Correct. Ukraine, I mean, it's going to be a tough. I mean, you, we, you live there. I've been to Kiev. I mean, you can't imagine that city, or any city in Ukraine for that matter, with with without electricity or heat in the in the winter. And and this is clearly a the objective of of the Correct. Kremlin to try and de- demoralize the Ukrainian Correct. people. How should we be reacting to this? Is there a way to speed up? Um, I mean, I guess it's if you watch from the outside, it's hard to figure out where this ends, other than a long tough winter for the Ukrainian populace well, and more saber more saber rattling from Putin. If if we had a strong policy, we have what I call an adequate policy. If we had a strong policy, we would not only be sending to Ukraine now um significant anti-air defense systems, things we should have sent them a year ago. As a result of this major Russian bombardment on civilians and civilian infrastructure, we are now sending Sophisticated anti-aircraft system, anti-air defense systems. We should have been sent. We should have sent back in the winter time. Uh, so that's a good thing. But if we really were pursuing our interests with boldness as opposed to timidity, again, we'd be sending Ukraine the weapon systems, the more advanced weapon systems, um, attackums, which are missiles which can fly 300 kilometers. We could send them HIMARS with a range of like 150 and 300 kilometers. We should be sending advanced tanks in order for Ukraine's counteroffensive to faster take back more of Ukraine and put Russia completely on a back foot. Because Moscow, since it's unable to win on the battlefield, is going after Ukrainian civilian uh, infrastructure. 
we should make that harder and harder for Moscow to do. And we're not doing that. Yeah, that's, I mean, I spoke to Mark Revgev, who you may know from uh, the former spokesperson for Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, and he was, we were talking a bit about why Israel hasn't provided, uh, you know, uh, anti-aircraft defenses as Ukraine's asked for it. And it's become a quite a complex problem, has it? How does, we have the systems out there to help Ukraine protect itself from these things. We just haven't given them to them or not enough of it yet. Um, that that I wonder if that will change or we're we're stuck there. We're, we're still in that position where we're we're trying not to dance that line between defending Ukraine and not offending Russia to some extent. Look, Moscow's conducting a war, uh, a war of massive war crimes. Some people even say genocide. Hmm. So for us to say, gee, we can't help Ukraine stop this war because we might annoy Putin. What type of superpower are we? Putin's interests are not just to take control of Ukraine. He intends to go farther. And if we allow him to win in Ukraine, I don't think we will. But if we were to do that, we have to worry about defending our NATO allies in the Baltic states, who are far less able to defend themselves than Ukraine is. You've spoken recently about the grain deal. Uh, Russia yes. briefly backed out of it. It comes up for renewal, I think, in about nine, ten days. Uh, right. Any 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 thoughts on what might happen there? It looks like this may be another lever that Russia is hoping to pull. I think the Russians will renew the grain deal. Right. Um, they they backed out of the grain deal, you know, briefly, because they were very angry about the success of Ukrainian military operations. But then they, again, they backed out briefly, which meant they must have felt pressure. I think probably from Turkey more than any other any other nation. And then they, they stepped back in. So I'd be surprised, although not astonished, if they were not to renew the grain deal. Because they could have just, you know, made their decision a week and a half ago and kept it instead of backtracking and looking weak in the process, I might add. Which is interesting because it's rarely the path that the Kremlin takes. Well, you know, I think this is a bit of an urban legend. Right. We've seen the, the Russians throw out nuclear threats multiple, multiple times. And, of course, we've yet to see them actually make good on those threats. So they said, you know, if 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 Ukraine, excuse me, if, if Switzerland, Switzerland, Sweden and Finland join NATO, well, they'll be in nuclear reaction. Well, they're joining NATO and there's no nuclear reaction. They put Crimea under their nuclear umbrella. But Ukraine has conducted several very, very potent military strikes in Crimea without any nuclear response. But diplomatically speaking, uh, it would seem that this is a really tough one for uh, for Brittany Griner, her, her loved ones, and for the United States. Uh, she's essentially being held hostage here. Mm -hmm. It would be normal for Moscow to make a trade for someone like that if they get back you know, a person of political interest to them, and the administration is willing to hand over a person of great political interest to them, the great arms merchants. I believe that there has not been a trade yet because Putin enjoys the dilemma that Biden is in. Clearly, there's extraordinary public interest in getting her release in the United States. So Putin calculates that a trade that frees her is a political win for the White House, and he does not want to give the White House a political win. I think that's that's the problem here. 
Yeah, it's sort of hostage dis- diplomacy. And, and Victor Bout, the arms dealer, I'm sure many of us have seen the movie. Um, yes. uh, that that would be, I mean, that that how sensitive would that be in the U.S., I guess, for 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 that trade to happen? I guess at this point, the, the, the impetus is really on getting Brittany Griner home. If you were to do a straight calculus, you know, of that Russian national, excuse me, American national interest, he is a serious international criminal, uh, but a criminal who's also doing the bidding of the Kremlin, which is why they want him released. So the, the net gain here is really in Russia's favor. But again, because of the public attention to uh, Brittany Griner, Putin sees this as a winner for the administration. Therefore, he's not going to go along. John Herbst, as always, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. My pleasure.